morning. Good morning. Oh yeah, it works like a charm. So good. How are you guys doing? Been good. Oh yeah, I got my peeps in the house right there, right there. Um, it is so good to be with you this morning, you guys. We have been in a series called Truly, Truly, and um, this morning we are getting we're getting close to the finish line. It's been such a good series. So last week we left the disciples. Uh, they were having their last supper with Jesus. And this morning, we're going back for more. So we're heading back to that same place. And we're jumping into John 14 to see the next important, truly, truly statement that Jesus made. So will you guys pray with me as we begin? Father, your word is an incredible gift to us. How would we know you? How would we know the truth? How would we know... Um, all that you are and all that you have done without your word. What a gift. Father, I pray that as we open up your word this morning together and um, as we talk about what it is that you have said there, uh, I would pray that by the power of your spirit, you would open our hearts and our minds. I would pray even, Holy Spirit, that you would come like, like a rain after the smoke and the fire, that you would just clear out whatever is foggy and whatever is distracting and whatever is heavy on our hearts right now in this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and clear, clear all of that so that we may see you, so that we may be touched and moved and transformed by your power. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to open our Bibles to John 14. John chapter 14. So during this intimate time, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is to come. For his death, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension to heaven. And so he's trying to prepare these guys who have no context for what he's talking about. They're just trying to figure it out as they go. So, and one, as one would imagine, it is really hard for the disciples to take it all in. I think about even like when my kids were little and John and I were gonna be gone for a little while and we're telling them, we're like, okay, we're gonna go, but we're gonna come back. And they're like, well, where are you going? And why can't I go with you? And when will you be back? And they have no concept of time and you're trying to describe to them, it's gonna be, you know, seven days, seven sleeps. And then we'll, you know, you're trying to make it in a way that they can somehow understand, but they just don't. And the disciples are in this place because the things in which Jesus is speaking of is things that are far beyond their human understanding. And so Jesus is with them, and he is speaking truth in order to comfort them. And so in John 14, he starts, as he does, with compassion. Because Jesus understands how hard it is to be us. Amen? He understands, and he has compassion about that. And so he starts in John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And then there was kind of this process where Thomas is like, well, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. We don't know how to go with you. And Jesus replies in 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. And then we get to John 14.12, and this is our truly, truly statement that Jesus says, Verily, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So in the face of loneliness and Jesus' departure, the disciples are confronted with this truly, truly statement from Jesus. Even though the disciples here may have been overwhelmed with sorrow, they are called to focus on what is to come. So in the midst of their sorrow and their um, just feeling lost and not knowing what's going to happen, Jesus still causes, asks them to focus on what is to come. This statement is pretty striking because it says that the believers will do greater things than Jesus has been doing because of Jesus' departure to the Father. So it's not like us as humans that say, no, no, it's going to be great. You're going to be with grandma and grandpa. You're going to have so much fun with them. I mean, maybe that is true, right? But the kid is like, no, no, I want you. I don't want grandma and grandpa, you know? Jesus actually is telling them the truth. He is telling them, actually, you are going to do greater things because I am going to go to the Father. So this has really been interpreted in a lot of many ways, you can imagine, as people read this and they think, greater things? We will do greater things. Um, but it can hardly mean that believers will do more dramatic works than the raising of Lazarus, the changing of water to wine, the walking on the Sea of Galilee, the multiplying of loaves and fishes, or any of the other amazing acts of Jesus. The idea that anyone could do greater works than Jesus also helps explain the context because scripture not only associates Jesus with miraculous miracles in the gospels, it credits him with creation itself in John 1, 1 through, 1 through 3. So in terms of power, it's logically impossible to suggest that anyone could do something beyond what Jesus accomplished. So maybe we look at it this way. The area where Christians, people who follow Jesus, can exceed what Jesus did is not quality but quantity. 
His earthly ministry lasted only about three years. And as he says here, he is soon to end this phase of God's plan. And so Jesus preached without modern communications or modern travel technology. And in contrast, think about what we have, right? Our modern evangelists, they can spend decades preaching to hundreds of thousands of people. Missionaries can serve to the furthest reaches of the globe. Greater things than these. Then Jesus said, you may ask me for anything in my name. This meaning of the expression here most likely means praying both like according to my will. When you pray according to my will and you invoke my name to glorify God, I will be there. I will do that. I will be in that. So Jesus goes on and he blows their minds a little more. <laughs> Don't you have compassion for the disciples? I'm like, guys, it's going to be okay. Well, it doesn't really. Well, <laughs> big picture, it will be great. John 14, 15 through 18. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Another advocate. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you see how Jesus understands their heart and their fears and their concerns? And he's saying, I will send someone to be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus knew very well that the requirement of love and keeping his commands would necessitate a resource of divine proportions. If you love me, keep my commands. We can't do that in and of ourselves. And so he prayed that his followers would have another resource, an advocate. Uh, in Greek, the word here actually is paraclete. So I have a, yeah, you guys see that there. So paraclete, and in, it's a difficult word to translate into English, and so you will see in these different translations how it can come out as helper, advocate, comforter. In John chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says, it's good and to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And his unique name for the Holy Spirit in these passages in John 14, 15, and 16 is the Greek word paraclete. It's a unique word as a noun. Actually, as a verb, the Greek is para, where is it? Para, para, is it up there? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, parakletos, para, para, how do I say it in Greek? Parakletos. Um, and as a verb, it's all over the Bible. You will find it as a verb all over the Bible, helping, advocating, comforting, encouraging, um, but as a noun, it is only found in these chapters. John uses that only in these chapters. 
And there's one other place in 1 John, and there it refers to Jesus. We'll get to that. So it's difficult to translate because it's a technical term, and also it has to do with the courtroom. So a courtroom setting. So paraclete is a helper or comforter or a defense attorney. Jesus is saying, I will send you a defense attorney. So why do we need a defense attorney? I mean, mostly we need a defense attorney because we're guilty. We're sinners. And number two, we have someone who is always accusing us. We have the devil, the enemy of our soul, who's always coming into the room of our own heart and accusing us of our sins. We need someone to stand and argue the case for us. Every one of us has been taken down by the accusations of the enemy. Every single one of us. We know that dark moment where we are overcome by what it is he is saying to us. And we're not sure what to do. Every one of us. We need someone to stand and defend us. The Holy Spirit functions in a similar way as Jesus did with the disciples. So um, there's this wonderful sermon by Charles Spurgeon. And he talks a little bit about that. Um, this is from 1872. What would that little company of disciples have been as they went through the streets of Jerusalem without their Lord? Conceive him absent and no other paraclete to fill his place, and you see no longer a powerful band of teachers equipped to revolutionize the world, but a company of fishermen without intelligence and without influence. A band which in a short time will melt under the influence of unbelief and cowardice. Christ was all in all to his people while he was here. Now, all that Jesus was, the Spirit of God is now to the church. He is another paraclete to abide with us forever. If there is this day any power in the church of God, it is because the Holy Spirit is in the midst. If she is able to work any spiritual miracles, it is through the might of his indwelling. If there is any light in her instruction, if there is any life in her ministry, if there is any glory gotten to God, if there is any good worked among the sons of men, it is entirely because the Holy Spirit is still with her. The entire weight of influence of the church as a whole and every Christian in particular, comes from the abiding presence of the sacred paraclete. Amen? The second place that this word paraclete is used in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice 
for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The amazing thing is, is that not only is our case being heard down here in the courtroom of our own hearts, but our case is also being heard in heaven, and we have a defense attorney in heaven who is Jesus. And when Jesus goes to the throne room, to the heavenly courtroom, to argue our innocence, he doesn't bring the evidence of all of our good works, all of our piles and heaps of good things we've done. No, he brings the evidence of his blood, the ransom he has paid for each of us. He had to leave to go to heaven to present the ransom of what he had done. He brings the evidence of the cross. He brings the evidence of his suffering. That's the evidence that is presented before God the Father in heaven for your righteousness and for my righteousness. So if you can imagine the courtroom of heaven and the devil brings there a sin that you've committed, and this is ongoing, people. This is not like our court systems where we're like, get on the docket, we'll, you know, we'll get to you in the end of... September. No, this is ongoing. This is an ongoing work. So if you can imagine we're in the courtroom of heaven, the devil brings there a sin that you've committed and Jesus says, objection, your honor. That sin is paid for. And God the Father says, sustained. It will not stand. What a powerful picture of what our advocate is doing and how he is working for us in heaven. What a powerful picture. And the same thing is true for our advocate, for our paraclete, down in the courtroom of our own conscience, in the courtroom of our heart. The same thing is happening. So the Holy Spirit argues not based on your good works or my good works, but rather he argues based on the blood of Jesus. His argument is the death of Jesus on the cross. His argument for your righteousness and mine is that substitutionary atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. And based on that argument, we are forgiven. We are righteous. We are holy. Amen. We are innocent. And we're free. So this is what it means that we have a paraclete sent to us from the heavenly throne room. That we have a comforter. That we have an advocate. That we have a defense attorney the Holy Spirit who comes to testify of the kindness and the mercy of God even into our own hearts. He is present with us all the time. We don't have to wait. We don't have to let it build up. He is present and at work all the time. John 16, 8 through 12 says, um, so then Jesus goes on and he talks about the threefold work of the Spirit. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this. So 
John 16, 8-12 says, When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And if we stop there, it doesn't seem like the comforter is being very comforting. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be comforting? (laughs) But in actuality, what the comforter is, is delivering us. This is deliverance. Jesus explains, he'll convict the world of sin because they don't believe in me. Being convicted of sin is painful, but what a beautiful gift. Because if we are not convicted of our sin, in and of our own nature, we do not see it. We can't feel it. We are in a bondage so deep that we will never get out of. This weekend, or last weekend, um, at the end, um, we went on vacation. At the end of our trip, um, we went to the movies, and my sister and I, my brother-in-law, we went and saw Sounds of Freedom. Have you guys seen Sound of Freedom? Some people. Um, It's about kids in slavery. Um, and um, one of the big things, one of the big phrases that comes out is like, God's children are not for sale. And my sister and I, when we came out of there, my sister's like, I just, I just have no compassion. I just have, you know, can't even understand how someone could be involved in the things that they've been, you know, just the the evil of it. Left to ourselves, we are all there. It is a gift to be convicted of our sin. It is a gift, it's not for condemnation, it's for freedom, it's so then as we see it, we bring it up and we take responsibility and we ask for forgiveness and we just, heard forgiveness is ours on a continual basis it sets us free and the enemy can no longer accuse us he no longer can use shame he no longer can use the things that he uses to keep us in captivity we are set free it is a gift to be convicted of our sin Also, he'll convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father and and you've seen me no more. The Holy Spirit is our indwelling paraclete. So as Jesus is with the Father, he left the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and is indwelling with us in such a close, intimate, personal space. He teaches us. He reminds us. He guides us into experiencing the truth. He helps us recognize when we're using self-righteousness. Okay, this is totally me. It's 100% me. Hold on. 
Maybe if I don't move, do you think that's possible? I'll hold it. I don't know. Um, all right, let's try again. So um, I feel like one of our biggest traps is the self-righteous piece because we feel guilty. We're not sure what to do with those spaces. And so we say, no, no, but I did this, this, and this, and they're way worse than me, so I must be okay. We try to find our own way of being okay. But the spirit in us teaches us that that is not, it is not our own self-righteousness, it is the righteousness of Christ, and that we can receive that again and again and again. And he'll convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world will be judged. In Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. It is his work to reveal Satan as condemned. In our minds, in our hearts, in the courtroom, in the places that these battles are being fought inside of each one of us, he reveals to us that Satan is condemned and the fear that we feel and the shame that we feel and the wrestle that is going on that is taking us down or at the very least distracting us, robbing our joy, taking us out of how we could be living in the spirit. He is a defeated foe. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. With the eyes of Jesus, we see Satan fall from his throne, his exalted place, and now he creeps around looking for whom he can devour. But James 4 tells us how the devil looks at us. Those of us who believe in Jesus and walk with him, the devil looks at us and is afraid because he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ, armed with the armor of light. He sees you and runs. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Worship team, if you guys want to make your way up. I shared a little bit about how Jesus sees our enemy. But how do we see things? I think in moments like this, when we talk about what the Holy Spirit is doing, what the Holy Spirit is at work doing, what Jesus is at work doing, I think it's, it, we could feel pretty similar to the disciples, like this is way bigger than who we are. It is hard to grasp our minds around all of these things because actually we are human and we have spirit in us and we're talking about spiritual things. But what eyes 
are you using to look at things? If you're like me, sometimes I feel like I like, you know, like put my glasses on to see and then I take them off and then I'm like, where do I put my glasses? <laughs> Get my glasses, put them on to see. I feel like we can do that in our relationship with God, in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. What eyes do you use to look at things? Do you look at things through the eyes of the flesh or do you look at things through the eyes of the Spirit? Are you looking at things through the eyes of Jesus? How are we looking at our world? How are we looking at our neighbor? Through the eyes of the flesh or through the eyes of Jesus? How do I look at my spouse? How do I look at my kids? How do I look at my enemies? Through the eyes of flesh or through the eyes of Jesus? How do I look at myself? How do I look at my sin? I believe that he died for my sin, for the whole world's sin? Do I believe that he came back to life, that he conquered sin and death, and he came back to life? Do I believe that he's alive with our Father? Do I believe in the Spirit that he sent? Do I believe? Do I believe that because of Jesus' work on the cross, his work as my advocate that God the Father doesn't see me as a sinner we believe that that actually as a follower of Christ God sees me as whole and free and as righteous as Jesus do we believe that am I willing to align myself with the work of the Holy Spirit the work that is happening right now in my heart. Am I willing? Do I want that? Will you guys pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are present. You are present in each one of us that believes and you are present in us collectively. You are here in this place. speak to us right now, I pray. Will you speak to us? It says that you are the spirit of truth. Will you show us the truth? Will you in these moments allow us to have the courage to say, show me the truth? Is there an area in my heart that I believe the accuser and I don't believe the advocate? Am I having trouble? Am I listening to accusation? Am I listening to condemnation? Am I listening to fear and shame and anxiety? Is it ruling me? Holy Spirit, come. 
come into all of those spaces by the power that you have. Speak truth. Heal us, Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see you in a supernatural way, in a way that we've never seen you before. Transform us. Change us. Even in this moment, we can, we can choose to disagree. I disagree with you, enemy. I, I say no. What you are saying is a lie. Here's what I agree with. We can in this moment make a new agreement. I agree with who you are saying that I am. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we sin, and thank you for showing that to us. It is so gracious on your part to reveal that so that we can give it to you, so that we can submit it to you, so that we can offer it and say, please forgive us. I pray that you would finish that whole work all the way through. Finish that whole work so that we are at peace knowing that yes, indeed, you have forgiven us. Yes, indeed, we are clothed in your righteousness. Yes, indeed, that is how we are seen. And Father, if the enemy will see us in that way, how can we not see ourselves in that way? Father, if the enemy sees us as clothed in your righteousness, forgive us for not seeing ourselves that way, for not having the belief and the trust to know that that is true. If the enemy will flee because we resist him, I pray that we would also do the same, that we would not stay attached to those things that are not true that we would turn from them and instead walk into your light. I pray freedom over each person this morning. I pray freedom, more freedom, more release. In a deeper way than ever before, I pray for that. Will you fall afresh on us, Holy Spirit? Will you fill us with your power? not only for our own freedom and wholeness, but so that we can go out into this world and that we can step into the authority you have given us. Because there's a world that is surrounding us. There's a world next door. There's a world up the street. There's a world maybe in our own house of people who are in captivity because the enemy is having his way with them. And I pray, Lord, that we would settle this in our hearts so that we can step forward, so that we can move out, so that we can step in the gap, so that we can advocate for, so that we can be a testimony and a witness to who you are and set the people we love free through the power of your spirit. Amen. Resolve this in us so that we can move on. Let us not be stuck in the same place, but instead, no, let us choose to believe and to move forward because we shall not advocate our space that you have given us. You have put us in the places we are for a reason. 
Help us not to abdicate that. Help us instead to step up into those places that you have put us through the power of your spirit, by the authority of your name. Greater works. Jesus, it is your will that we move out. That we are part of freedom. And I pray that you would do this work. In your mighty name.